Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. Well, I just thank you guys. This is what it means to be family together, right? Not like this is practice per se, but how important is it to carry each other's burdens and actually feel the pain of our family, you know, even when it's not totally real to us. So uh, it's good. It's what it means to be a disciple, what we're talking about today. What's it mean to walk like Jesus did? It means to hurt with people. So I don't know. I guess good job, Karam. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to be. Well, I'll move forward. I'm talking today on what it means to be a disciple. And then Dave is talking about what it means to be church. So two really simple words that to some of us maybe feel simple and other of us that might be both loaded words. So I think what we feel is we have vision for Karam moving forward is we need to redefine words. We need to put story with words so that it's accurate we're on the same page as we develop what those words mean. So if even this word is pretty religious to you, I say just bear with me today. Or if it's something you have pre-context to, let's open up our heart to be learners because that's what it takes to actually continue to open up our hands and learn, you know, from a God who loves us. So uh, I would say this topic right here is the basic of everything we want to do. We would say church, even what Dave's talking about next week, is a byproduct of being a disciple, not the other way around. As a group of people who are trying to actually be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what he did, family starts forming. And actually that's church. It's a byproduct. Sometimes we start the other way around with a church and never, we never actually get towards disciples. So I'm just going to hit this. This is a passionate thing of mine. It won't be like a college class. This will be more of a story form, little idea, trying to hit kind of like the guts of it. And we'll break out and have a little discussion, okay? So be ready. I'm going to ask you actually to share with your neighbor. If that's scary, I'm prepping you guys right now for it. But I guess here's how I want to start. A few years ago, maybe a handful of years ago, maybe two handfuls actually, I was up in the foothills of the Himalayas and with a group of friends we started climbing a 16,000 foot peak. I guess you call that a 16er. It's right above this little town called Dharamsala and we climbed to the peak of it and we had to get up that day and down that bay. So it's like one of the most intense hikes I've been on. But we got to the peak of it, and it just looks over the crest. We're at 16,000-plus feet, and you actually see, we're looking into, like, Nepal and western China. And we just see the mountain peaks of the Himalayas. And I think it was one of those moments where the glory of the Lord actually just started, like, pouring on me. We have a God who created this, and, like, worship started pouring on my heart. God is actually beyond just some morality. That actually walking with God isn't just fixing a morality, it's actually walking with a person. 
And I think the love of God poured on us and even me thinking like looking across the mountains that morning I was with Tibetan refugees who have exiled from China over those very peaks and fleeing China so they wouldn't be slaughtered for who they are and just realizing God love all people. He made those Tibetan people, he made me as an image bearer of the king. Like an image bearer means we have value, we're made like him. He loves us. He loves our story. And I think in the midst of that, that's the foundation of what started hitting me. God loves me, right? Being with God on top of that mountain, it's majestic, it's beautiful. There's this verse in Exodus 19 that's a powerful one I hold on to. It says, you are a treasured possession and you're a kingdom of priests. And God actually says, you're valuable. Do you understand? Like, do we grasp that God is speaking to us that you're so valuable? And you're priests, you have a purpose. And then in Deuteronomy, he's reminding these people again. You're treasured because you're deeply loved in Deuteronomy 7, 6. And then we get to the New Testament. And in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And he's like, going through these, it's like a chosen race, intentionally with you. You're not alone. You're royal. You have an inheritance. You have authority. You're holy. You're set apart, meaning you're looked after. You're special. You're people of his own possession. You're called to proclaim his goodness. Now, all those things feel very churchy, so it feels like, of course, that's in my head. But before we start being a disciple, do we realize the intensity of the glory of the goodness of the Lord? And at that moment, on top of the peak, for some reason, that hit me. All those places where I don't feel enough or have enough, this is where worship pours in. All those times when I don't have enough money, I don't now have enough energy. I don't have enough time to actually invest in my kids. I don't have enough. This is where God's like, that's why you worship. Walk with me. And then what do you do? God wants to, it was one of those moments where God wanted to be with us. And me and a group of friends just said, God, will you just hang out with us? And all the verses I just said, obviously I wasn't up there studying my Bible. It was kind of more internal. But we just said, Lord, do you want to be with us? And we looked over, and just like guys do, we saw a glacier that stopped at the top of the 16,000-foot peak and went down probably 4,000 feet. And we said, God, do you want to slide down the glacier with us? So all I had on was a rain jacket. So I put it over my sleeves and actually sat down on a glacier, and we flew down the Himalayan mountains and just popped off the edge right before a ravine that we would have probably slid under and probably not been here today um, so a little not smart but uh but I think my point of it is actually God wants to be with us I actually think it's the right theology that inviting God to slide down a glacier not saying you should do that is actually what God wants to do with us he wants to be with us in those moments, in those fun things, those crazy things. He wants us to actually realize that being with him creates it to be enough. And I think before we do anything, do we have a reverence of the Lord? We see the Himalayas massive, and I'm like, whoa, God, you're big. And you want to be with me as I even do silly things. 
and it puts a reverence over me that my stuff that's not enough, whatever I feel, can only be filled by a God who is enough. And that sounds very religious, you know, but it, it is true. I mean, even recently, me and Tom, we literally wake up in the mornings and don't have enough energy. Or we're going to spend time together, and then I'm like, I just got Bodhi down, and I just need to fall asleep, and it's not enough. And now the only way through that is to say, God, I want to be with you. And I'll share this with you. My experience currently doesn't look quite at the peak of the Himalayas, but I paint that because that's what it's supposed to look like. My current one means 6 a.m., my cup of coffee, and I sit down on my front step that doesn't look at the Rocky Mountains. It literally looks at a tree in my front yard and my neighbor Dee Dee's house. But it's the same. It's saying, God, will you be with me? And there's specific things that I won't even go into that we literally physically didn't have enough in the previous two months. And I go, God, I don't know where it's going to come from. In the recent like week, it just poured in. And I'm saying the foundation of actually being a disciple says, actually, God is enough. Will I put myself out there to actually be with him? Invite him into my places that he is enough. He is enough. Too often, don't we do this if we're lonely? We just get bitter and we go down the line of despair instead of going to somebody who is enough. God is enough. And find new ways to spend time with him. God fills us with a deep posture of love and hope. The whole Bible speaks of this. Psalm 27 says this, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And I would say, what we're saying as disciples is actually that fulfills. Not in a moral way, like we're good enough, or even a headspace why, but I'm saying we're dealing with a person who actually wants to be with us. And it fulfills. And that's the starting place of saying, I'm a disciple. I just want to try to be with God. And in practical ways, that doesn't always feel natural. I don't get the moment I'm on the top of the Himalayas most mornings. But I say, I'm still going to keep showing up on my front step. And then Bodhi wakes up with his banana that he needs every morning and sits by me and then smashes it on my pants. And all that stuff literally happens. And I'm like, God, I'm going to keep showing up because I believe that you make things enough. And I think in all my world, it comes down to the why factor of being a disciple. It comes even to the Psalms, Psalm 63.3. And if you've been with me long enough, you've heard me say this. But it's saying God's love is better than life, and that's why I praise him. Why do I want to be a disciple of Jesus more than anything else? Because I've been around other things. And they're great people. I've been around Muslims and Hindus and crazy hippie American travelers and Buddhists. And they're all great people. They really are. But there's something different about the God we have, and its love is better than life. And I would say that is worth pursuing for my life, even in the midst of the busyness of having crazy kids, unknown job rhythms, and all that. Like, the love of God is better than life. And I'll spend my time with him in the presence and trying to find out how to do that season by season. Because it's different in different seasons. If you're a new parent, you know it's different in this season than it was maybe when you were in college or getting to travel places. It's different. 
but it's actually still the same God, and we've got to fight for it and remind it and be with God. I'm stopping there, and this is where I'm going to actually have, we're going to do two minutes. I want you to grab someone next to you, and I'm going to ask this question. So we're going to have little breakouts like this. Where in your life right now, your season, and it doesn't have to be flashy, are you trying? And I would say trying is radical, okay? It's not being perfect. Are you trying to be with God? Or what are some ideas that you think you could try to be with God if you're not trying anything right now? Because I know certain seasons I'm just trying to survive. But I want to actually break out and actually talk to each other. This family right here. What are we trying to do to be with God? And it's only going to be two minutes because I'm going to jump back into some of these other topics. But there's no point in moving farther if this isn't actually the start, right? So maybe talk to somebody and they'll probably have better things to say than I do. But how are we trying to be with God moment by moment? Simplicity. Okay, I'm going to bring you back. I would say, you guys, to be a disciple means to actually worship. And to worship, it means I want to actually be with somebody. I want to actually carve out time in my life or my mental capacity to be with somebody. And I think there's tons of creative ways to do this, and we're meant to be creative. So I'd say continue as as this family and as yourself to say, Lord, how do I spend time with you? Because when you spend time with somebody who's greater, if, if God is who he says he is, if he's the one who spoke the world into existence, earth, you know, stars, planets, and it happened, well, then you would think, oh, actually, he can actually solve the thing in my life that's not enough. And then it moves from just solving the thing to saying, oh, actually, I just love you. And if it doesn't get solved, I just love you, you know? And that's the start of this beauty of how God created us in the beginning to say, no, I just want to be with you while you go through those not enough things. All right, I'm going to go into these other couple things. I think Christianity is crazy. So we've been through a place where the cool, most known verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gives only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And there's that word believes. That word believes has been not appropriately translated. Because we think, oh, I got the right thought in my mind. And back in 89, when I was 8, I said the prayer. And now I actually believe. But when I read stories about Jesus, he asked people to follow him. Right? He doesn't ask people to believe. He asked people actually do what I did and invites them into a whole new way of life. So yes, it's about believing, but I would say it's not just about believing with your head. It's broader than that. It's saying, trying to do what he did, be following him. So I would just invite us, the, the message of a disciple isn't about just believing, it's about following Jesus. And those are very close related, and I would say it's like that, but I go with this passage in If you want to follow along, it's in Mark chapter 2, and it's about Levi. So the remainder of my time, I'm going to talk about Levi. Levi was a tax collector, and the tax collector was a Jew at the time, but he was kind of a traitor, a cultural traitor, who would steal money from people. He would side with the Roman government. 
And actually, you're meant to dislike tax collectors because that would be the righteous thing to do. And this is what Jesus does in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said, Hey, buddy, come follow me. And Levi, he rose and followed him. And as they reclined at the table of Levi's house, many other tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, and and said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And I love this. So Levi, you guys, starts out as an outcast. He knows he's not as good, per se. And then Levi goes on. You guys, the story of Levi, he wrote the book of Matthew. Levi is Matthew. So later on, he follows Jesus for three years. In the midst of that time of following him, he didn't even know for sure if he was the Son of God. It took years to live into the identity of who he meant to be. After Jesus passed away and rose again, this tax collector, this no good, this one who didn't belong, the not enough, wrote the book of Matthew for the Jewish people who already hated him. Later on, led by the Lord out of obedience to what Jesus did, he went to Ethiopia according to church history. Started churches and showing people about him. And in the midst of one of these small little gatherings, one of the army men from the leader of the king of Ethiopia sent and killed him in the midst of their little gathering. But in the midst of that, he gave his life in a way that he felt called to live. He started out an outcast and ended with a life filled with purpose. It almost is those verses I just shared with you. He started out not knowing, not having enough, fighting for income to prove his worth. And he found something different. He knew he was a treasured possession and a holy priest. A possession means you have deep value. You're a treasure. You're a deep possession of the Lord. And a priest means you actually are called with a meaningful purpose to have something to give. And this guy's identity got totally transformed. His definition of life was transformed in the midst of being a disciple. So my question would be, what did he do for three years that led him to be willing to do his end? And I would say this, one, think about this life. He didn't even know who he is. He's still grasping that money defines him because he didn't have enough. And he's like, I'll walk with Jesus. His life was transformed and he saw things like Jesus healed the dead. They're dead. He prayed. They came back. He saw people do miracles with God, like provide food for him. He saw Mary get her life transformed, demon possession gone away. And then I think the coolest thing that happened is he became a comrade. (laughs) He was actually a deep friend of Jesus. There's something about a deep friendship deep friendship with with Jesus and the rest of the disciples that Jesus taught him a whole new way to belong to a community, hence the church, with a group of friends who shared their problems, spent time with him. When they felt empty, they probably did the stuff you guys just all got done talking about. 
But I think in the moment, what did, what did Jesus do that grabs people's heart? Like, Levi, why would somebody, when he says, follow me, why would he leave? It feels odd. Or why, if you know the woman at the well story, Jesus literally calls her a prostitute, and she smiles and goes, thanks, and then goes and changes the whole city. You're like, wait a second, there's something happening. And I think this is what Jesus does. And actually, as we live into becoming like him, this might be how our posture should be. And as we try to do what he did, maybe we should model some of this stuff and try it. I wouldn't say be experts, but I'd say try it. And I would say these are some of the postures. Jesus walked around the places he walked, and I think he saw him, or he saw her. And what I mean is, he actually saw their brokenness, their not-enoughness, and he said, oh, I love you to death. That's awesome. You know? Like, he saw them. They knew he was seen. The woman at the well, he's like, you have like nine husbands. And he's like, I see it, and you still belong. He did something different, this idea of there's a difference between acceptance and approval. He's like, I don't approve of that life because that's hurting you, but you're fully accepted before that whatever changes. Like, he saw them and accepted people. And there's a posture with that that's not natural for us, at least as Americans, to do. But Jesus saw them. Then he did something crazy. He looked at people, and he invited them into a new story. That's crazy, because if you invite someone into a new story, that's going to cost you something, isn't it? I just invited, come hang out with my family on the weekends. Well, if I do that, that costs energy for my family, but it's so rich. Or even if me and Tanya decide to have another kid, we invite Bodie into my life. And now that costed our family something. It's heavy, but it's the most joyous thing there is. And I think it's the same for Jesus. He invited Levi, these other's disciples, into a whole new way of life. He didn't force it on him, but it was an invitation with joy. Right? No, I'm still, bring all your garbage, your ickiness. Yeah, it's going to create this family that Dave will talk about next time. It will be so messy. <laughs> but come do it and be a friend, a comrade. You belong before you prove yourself. And then he did something. He showed them, come along. I'm going to model what this looks like. So your only job is to follow me. And Levi's like, okay, I think I can do that. Don't ask me to do anything. He's like, okay, just follow me. This is called apprenticeship. But if you follow, like currently I'm doing a project in my basement. Bodhi loves helping me. But this is what happens. I put caulk on the baseboard, and then Bodhi wants to put caulk on the baseboard with his screwdriver. So he digs the stuff out that I just did. It ruins the project. It makes it way less efficient. But isn't that the joy of being a father? I'm like, come on, Bodhi, keep doing it with me because this project's taking way longer, but it's way more fun because you're my son and I love you and I need you to do that with me. That's what Jesus did with Levi. Come, do it with me. And he's probably thinking, you screwed that one up. Let's try again. Let's keep going. That's being a disciple. He modeled it. And then he did something crazy. Jesus sent them out in his name. But he would send Levi out and say, go try do this stuff you saw me do. And they would come back and realize, we prayed for someone, the demons didn't come out. And he's like, well, of course they did, because you tried to do it on your own. Let's try it again. 
but he sent them out and said, I'm going to trust you. And guess what? When he trusted them and dwelt with them, became friends, it ruined his name a little bit because he was known as a sinner and a glutton, a friend to tax collectors, and they're like, what is he doing? But what? Jesus' identity was so firm that didn't define him because he did the first thing. He was connected to the Father. And I would say him modeling that, now, we're not Jesus, are we? (laughs) So what do these things look like? What did the posture that Levi had to make these things work? This is what I would say he had. His postures. He was actually open. Are we closed in our way? If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be a disciple, one, do we know how big he is, but then are we open? Are our hands open? Or do we have the world figured out? He was open. He's like, whoa, okay, you're showing me something different. So when Jesus saw him, he was open to actually listen. I would say he was willing to go to an invite. He was willing to embrace awkwardness. If we can't embrace awkwardness, I don't know if Jesus can change our insides. He was willing. He was a humble friend. Jesus invited him into a friend group. It's easier to be friends when you have something cool to give, but when you're the weirdo in a friendship and you know it, it's harder to want to go to those events, right? But I would say, He was humble to join a group that he knew would stretch him and reveal, expose some of his places of vulnerability. And he said, I'll go do it. He was hungry and needy. And this is the key. I don't think any of us can be a disciple until we know we're needy. That actually, that emptiness I talked about right away, we know we have it. Like, actually, I don't know how I'm going to provide for myself, and Lord, I'm going to put myself in a posture of needing. That's from community or from you. And the last one is something we emphasize in Krom all the time, is we're willing to participate or try to follow him. And I would say this is one of the most key ingredients of being a disciple, is saying, I'm willing to try. And I would say trying to follow Jesus is the most radical thing there is. And if you fall down, it's not like, I mean, Bodhi falls down and he just split open his head the other day. We had to glue it shut, literally. It was like gaping blood down his face. I wasn't mad at him. I'm like, that's okay, bud. Let's glue it up and then go get him, tiger. You know, I was proud of him. And I feel like we got to understand that's how Jesus is with us. I'm so proud you're with me. Go try again. And that sent this guy Levi to go out and do the life he was called to live and transform and bring change to the environments where he was placed. So as we look at this, this is not the biblical definition. This is what we came to through some of these stories. As we say, if you want to be a disciple, it's this simple. It means actually to be with Jesus. Like our life is with Jesus. It means to actually posture openness of like Levi to become like him. Say, God, actually, I know my life needs to change. If I'm 20 or if I'm 80, my life needs to change. I don't have it figured out quite yet. And that's humbling. And the last one is, God, I'm willing to sacrifice my time, my focus, my passions to do what you call me to do. And to wake up in the mornings to different extents with hands open and say, 
God, what do you have for me right now? Do you have something for me today? And then actually go try and do it. Call the friend he put on your heart. <laughs> go give money to somebody. I just had a friend. It was so, he was part of Karam before. But he sat down with me and he was telling me, him and his wife were giving money to people. And he sat down and his name's Mark. And he goes, Matt, so what we did was we were going to give money to people. And then we both prayed and got a number. And one was a lot smaller than the other. And he goes, well, you know, our God is generous. So we got to give the biggest number that came to our head. You know, and they went out of their mind and gave like a huge chunk of money. And I was like, are you kidding me? Is that what you really did? You're crazy, Mark. And some of you guys know Mark well. And I was like, oh, that's the heart of being a disciple. Like doing crazy things because God puts it on your heart to bless other people. And I'm like, Mark was living as an example of being a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to break you guys into groups one more time. Okay, because the heart is to share. You're in the same group, so becoming like Jesus. What things are you doing or could be doing in your life to allow you to shape your life like Jesus? What habits are you putting? Some of us in Karamdeo have talked about a rule of life. What building blocks do you put in your life to almost bounce you back in to help remind you that life is about Jesus would be the first question. We'll leave it at that. That's, that's what I'm gonna, I'll end with. What things have you guys put in your life or think you could put in your life to remind you that life is about becoming like Jesus and not just about what American culture says we're meant to be like? So I'm gonna bounce you out two minutes, go for it. Well, the last question I would have asked you if we had more time that I'd want you to ask yourself would be, connected to what Jesus did. Think of somebody, Dave always says this, like the real defining moment of actually where your faith is, is when you are encountered by your enemy. And I'd define your enemy as somebody who's actually probably the other who believes something different than you in our culture. And how do you respond? And if you're going to do what Jesus did because Levi would have been classified as an enemy, What's your posture when you see that person, when you listen to that person? Do you see an issue or do you see the person? Because Jesus saw Levi. He didn't, he didn't see the tax collector. He saw Levi. So how do you go about training or asking the Lord to reshape your mind so you can actually see people, invite people, Show them love and deeply love. And I would say this, and Jesus did this well, to love somebody, that other person you guys are thinking of, or that other kind or whatever kind means, if you don't love them enough to love their story and be intrigued by their story, you actually probably don't love them. So if there isn't like a fascination in your mind to actually see them as an image bearer, of the king who he designed with value of possession, I would say we're probably missing something. And it will be hard to do that last one. And the reality of that 
is all of us are going to fail at that last one. <laughs> you know? And that's where we're like, oh, shoot, Lord, forgive me. Great, you're forgiven. Now go try again and give that person a high five and tell them how great they are. Okay? So that's what I would think. But in closing, I want to say stuff that I'm not saying. So this is how we're simply defining a disciple. It's one who's with Jesus. You love him. You want to spend time. You follow him. You actually are open to have your life changed. And you're actually going to make choices out of your way that's kind of crazy like Mark Bonani does with income. But what I'm not saying is to be a disciple isn't just to instantly change your morality. I don't think he did that. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I hope there's some broken things in our life that get fixed, that are actually hurting us. And some of those you'd classify as morality. But I think we're meant to look at Jesus, and Jesus will shift those things. I'm not saying to be a disciple, we have to have all the knowledge of the best seminaries or best mission groups, or you have to know the whole Bible. Although, we have a group in my home who has two books left in the Old Testament, and it has shaped my life this year. And I would say, oh, it's so good. Like, engage in it. But I'm not saying to be a disciple, you've got to know it all. But I would invite you into a posture of learning it because there's so much good stuff into it. Do you see the difference? It's an invite compared to you have to do this to be a disciple. And the thing I am saying is I don't think you can do this without a family. And when we're a family bridging to what Dave is saying next week, actually, everybody in a family has responsibility. Isla now is seven. She's going into second grade. She has responsibility at every meal we do. Bodhi's responsibility at those meals is slightly different. We hope he keeps sitting at the table. But Isla's is a little beyond that. And guess what? Mine's a little beyond Bodhi's, a little beyond Isla's. <laughs> but that's because we're family. I don't think we can do this without family. So one pushback to be a disciple, we actually need to push against the American system of individuality. Did I say that wrong? Individuality? You guys know, being an individual which is really good because you're made in God's image as an individual and there's creativity in you that's supposed to pump out, but you're also part of a family that shapes you. That's what it means to be a disciple of the king. I think the whole goal of anything we do with Dale, house churches, D groups, these little things we're doing here with communion, like some of the leadership pathways is all invites to say, how do we actually just spend time with Jesus more? How do we change our lives more? How do we actually love the other, those other things around us more? That's what we're trying to do. Everything is just trying to do this simple. It's just saying, God, we're trying to be a disciple. And I'd say trying. That's what we're doing. We're not saying you didn't do it. And this is how I'll wrap it up, just like I started. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. For whoever believes, I'd say this, 
Whoever actually in his heart believes, follows, is willing to give up rights, believes, follows, will have eternal life and be with Jesus. He'll be a disciple. So I'm expanding that John 3.16 verse for us. And I hope when we hear that, we hear an invite to look at Jesus as a family together. Not just know all the right information in our head alone. But I hope we know a lot. Dave knows more than I do, you know? And I love that about him. So this is our journey we are inviting you into over the next, we'll just say year. That's the vision. This is the vision to look at Jesus together as disciples. Is the vision for Karamdale. Period. So I'm going to close this in prayer. And then you guys hang out as long as you like. Lord Jesus, I pray you are here. May there be awe that comes over our hearts. May it not take the Himalayan mountains to bring awe to my heart, to bring hope to my heart. May I feel the weight of how big and good you are, even sitting on my front porch in the middle of an urban city. God, may I choose and be willing to follow your invite day to day, season to season through my doubts, through my disappointments. May I allow you to heal my broken heart, my broken and upset past, Lord Jesus. And may I be willing to say yes and yield to you on a simple day-to-day, moment-by-moment, step-by-step. Things that happen to me during my day. May we hear you as you guide us and walk with us, Lord Jesus. And may that be the identity of Kram, a group of disciple friend, comrades who fellowship together, are connected, and believe you put us here for a purpose, a meaningful life to bring hope and joy and goodness in your kingdom beyond these walls. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.